Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwine through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Thank you for joining me, my friends, on another episode of the Shema Podcast. I really appreciate your listenership. I should say that. I don't say it enough. And what I really appreciate, what's been just so precious to me as I've launched this podcast, is all the, the friends I've met through it. So if you've never have reached out to me, please do. My email is shema at torchweb.org. I would love to build that connection outside of a one-way relationship where you're listening to me, but I love it when I get to engage with you and broaden my relationships within the Jewish community. And a matter of fact, I know many listeners who are not Jewish have reached out to me. I've greatly appreciated that. I want to discuss a very powerful idea today and something I've been very honed in on, very focused on developing. And that is this idea that our mind is a garden. The thoughts we hold in it, the thoughts we nurture, they grow and they manifest into the reality around us. And we've discussed that the job of the Yetzirah is to influence those thoughts And I've shared what I've learned from Rabbi Nachman, that those thoughts come in three different kinds. One is a negative thought about yourself. One is a negative thought about another person. And the other is a negative thought about a situation. Basically, all types of negative thoughts that enter our mind are coming from the Yetzer Ra. And once we know that, become conscious of that, and we know their source... We need to do battle with that because when those negative thoughts, again, we allow them to germinate, to grow in our mind, they don't allow us to actualize our potential. They harm us in this area. And there's another idea here as well, as far as shaping this strategy for dealing with these negative thoughts. And that is, you know, in the Shema, In the second paragraph, when it refers again to loving Hashem, your God, with all your heart, which is how the English translation appears, the reality is what I've learned from my rabbis is that it's actually plural for hearts, meaning that we are supposed to love Hashem with our Yetzer Tov and our Yetzer Hara. So we basically need to use the energy of the Yetzer Hara to help channel it into our service of the Almighty. So with that in mind, I sort of see that the proper tactic, and Rabbi Nagel spoke about this on a podcast we did together, that the really best tactics to use are like judo. You know, in judo, they use the opponent's force and they channel it back towards the opponent. And I think that's the idea here as well. So what I want to do is I want to share what I've been developing, a schedule, a checklist, and things I do to make sure that the garden of my mind, that the only seeds that are being implanted in there, those thoughts that I want implanted in my mind are things of holiness and purity and positivity and things that will help me 
actualize my potential in this world. But before I get to these tactics I've been developing over this last year, we really have to start at how we begin our day. Now, now when I had David Block on, he was talking about how precious it was when he learned about the Modeani, which is such a powerful prayer to start our day with. And I mentioned that it says in there when it says that Hashem has Amuna in us, it's remarkable because we know that we're trying to develop our Amuna in Hashem, meaning to have faith that everything that he is orchestrating for us is out of love and in our best interest. So it's amazing that the first thing Hashem tells us to say in the morning is that he has faith in us that we won't let him down, that we'll succeed for him. It's an incredible idea, incredible thing that our creator is telling us he wants us to say first thing in the morning. But what I've learned is that to begin our day correctly does not start when we wake up. It really starts with the thoughts we hold and what we say before we go to sleep. Now, I have had a habit before going to bed of always saying, the first line of the Shema and the subsequent first paragraph. And then I'd always say to Hashem, I've I've read this, that you always want to forgive every Jew. So I'd always tell them, like if if anyone did something to me that I'm not aware of or, or, or said something negative about me, do not judge them for that. Quite frankly, if they said something negative, it's probably accurate for one. But I know, I tell Hashem, I know you don't like it when we say things negative about each other. So if someone did that, I forgive them. We all have yet are all. We all make mistakes. Forgive them. I am not bringing any court cases against any of my Jewish brothers or sisters. But, you know, I'm, I'm still learning the sitter. It's, you know, I've been here three years, three and a half years. Okay. It's been a while. I'm learning how the davening works throughout the week. But I still find new things in the sitter that are just amazing. And I just recently, it's quite embarrassing. I recently just came across the bedtime Shema which basically lays it out, beginning with forgiving every Jew. But of course, the sages know how to say things so much purer and better, more comprehensive. And then it has the Shema. Now, at night, what I do is I'm reading this off my Art Scroll app on my phone. And the reason is I just have a sort of a rule in our house that we don't bring sitters or Torah books into the bedrooms. Because I learned that if you leave them out on your nightstand. You don't want to change clothes and get undressed in, such a, in front of a, a holy book. And certainly it's forbidden to have marital relations in a room where there's a sitter or a Torah book sitting out. So I just said, hey, I don't want to risk forgetting, forgetting something. So I just didn't worry about changing clothes and needing to cover the sitter and put it in a nightstand drawer. So I just said, no sitters, no suffers. We just don't bring them into the bedroom. So I have the app on my phone. And so I found this bedtime Shema just recently. And I, I read this prayer and then I, you would read the first paragraph of the Shema. And then it grays out these boxes on the second and third paragraph of the Shema. I thought it was it. But just recently I started scrolling through and I saw there's so much more. So many beautiful words to contemplate before we go to sleep. And I know when they have these verses where it says, recite this three times, I know the sages had something very profound involved with those words because three is about completion, unity. There's something there. 
So to begin with, if you're if it's not part of your regimen at night to say the bedtime Shema, definitely, definitely pick that habit up. Now, the other thing I've been doing over the last year is as I'm laying in bed, I'm falling asleep. What I pray for, just say over and over and over again until I drift off into sleep is, Hashem, wake me up like a lion tomorrow, ready to serve you with energy and vigor. And that has worked incredibly well. I mean, I get up early. I get up at 4 a.m. And since I've been doing this, there's no hitting the snooze or like, oh, I can't believe I don't want to get out of bed now. I sit up in bed, immediately feet hit the ground, and I'm ready to go. Now, I was a little hesitant about sharing that because I'm concerned. I may have done one of those things like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where you boast to someone about how you haven't gotten sick in so many years, and then the following day, you wake up sick, which is what's occurring there is you're boasting about not getting sick, and the Satan is going to Hashem and saying, yeah, why, why is this guy Dan Coleman not getting sick? Has he done anything to merit this? And Hashem looks at my file and says, not really. So I, I end up getting sick the next day. So I hope that doesn't happen. I hope tomorrow I'll wake up with just as much energy as I have been by going through this process. And then when we get up, we, of course, we wash our hands. But we, you know, we've learned that the reason we do that is because when our neshama leaves our body, it creates a vacuum in our extremities. And in the place where holiness once was, it allows room for these negative energies, this tuma to enter. And so we have this process of ritually washing our hands and saying the bracha in order to remove that. But there's, there's more to this because as we're saying that bracha, we are holding our hands up and we're looking at them. And what we are supposed to be contemplating is that nothing that I produce today with all my efforts, none of it comes from these hands. It all comes from Hashem. I put in the effort, but the outcome will all come from Hashem. Something very important to contemplate and know. It's why we also do the same thing where washing our hands before a bread meal is because as we're looking at our hands, we're contemplating that beautiful Shabbos meal that my wife prepared. It did not come from my efforts. Well, the cooking, definitely not. But I'm talking about even just the financial resources to buy all the food. It all came from Hashem. Just constant steps to go into a state of humility and avoid arrogance, the worst pitfall in our service to our creator. Now, I mentioned I get up very early. And there's multiple reasons for this, but one of the things I want to stress to have a proper regimen is you can't wake up at a time where the alarm goes off and then you're just hitting the ground, running, hopping in the shower, getting dressed, getting to shul for morning davening, going to work. You got to have some quiet time with the Almighty. It's, it's imperative. Even if you're just waking up 20 minutes early, have a little quiet time with a cup of coffee and have some personal conversation with your creator, it means everything. And I'll go through sort of the checklist I prepared for having those conversations and things I sort of say to him and myself to get myself in a right state of mind. Now, the reason I get up at 4 a.m. is also because I like to work out first thing in the morning. And I will say that having some type of exercise routine, whether it's in the morning like me or some point during the day, I just found it 
If I try to do it later in the day, it doesn't happen. And I find first thing in the morning, it helps prepare me in the service because if you think about it, it really helps train the body. When I'm having that morning workout to know that I'm in control, you need to be subservient to me. You're going to end up being eaten by worms and maggots. But if you want to exist in a lamba with me, and I can only exist in a lamba with you, then you need to follow my cue, which means we're not going to react to every impulse you have. I'll take good care of you. I'll make sure you stay healthy and strong and get rest. But in the end, we have work to do this day, and I'm not going to be subservient to you. And that's what working out for me does. I mean, besides just allowing my body to strengthen itself and have a nice, calm energy throughout the day, it's this very idea. You know, I tell people, they ask me, who are curious in my workout routine, and one of the things I tell them is that I cycle things around, you know, from sometimes I'll do more reps with less weight, and sometimes I'll do less reps with more weight. But I always say, but in the end, I only do two or three reps. And they'll say, well, how do you reconcile that you only do two or three reps if sometimes you said you do between 10 and 12 reps? I said, because I don't ever start counting until my muscles complain that they can't do anymore. That's when I begin counting. That's when I begin. That's when I know the work is being done. And that's when also the spiritual work is being done because, again, we're training ourselves and our body to say that our neshama is in control. It knows what's best. And it's learning to teach our body to be subservient to who we truly are. So anyway, definitely get some type of exercise routine into your, your regular schedule. But now we have the morning time. We've said the Madhyani, we washed our hands. And then I personally, I like to go outside. I like to look up at the night sky because it's so vast and just helps give me a sense of awe of my creator. And I have a checklist. I have it on my phone. I do. I, and I continually refine it and build it out. Like, you know, for one, I need to be in a state of joy. And, and all these subsequent things we'll discuss are all based on that. Because his presence can only really res, reside with someone who is in a state of joy. That's one. Two is to contemplate. Ain't no mavado. There's nothing but Hashem. The Shema, that everything that happens is for the good. That that very moment Everything's been orchestrated perfectly in my best interest, in your best interest. And then I say that, and I tell this to Hashem, is that my responsibility today is to one, daven, two, learn Torah, and do mitzvos and acts of kindness and look for opportunities to do Kiddush Hashem. That's my job. Because what I'm doing is I know I have a lot of business challenges coming up that day. And... What I'm telling myself and letting Hashem know that I know is that the outcome of those business efforts, whether they are fruitful or not, that is something he is entirely control over, not me. I tell him my job is to put in effort towards my livelihood, but in the end, the outcome that is yours, you told me that, I know that, so I'm relying on you for the outcome. Now, right there, those ideas are very powerful to start your day just contemplating those ideas. I also remind myself that if I do run into a challenge that day, that as illogical as it may seem, is that the study of Torah just seems to make all problems go away. Whenever I'm challenged with something, and I just remember that, and I turn around away from my desk where I have my computers, and I turn to my 
the other side of my desk where I have my Torah books and I open something up and start reading, it's not necessarily that the problems become solved. It's just miraculously, I realize there's no problems. So that's something else I have on my checklist just to remind myself, you know, tell Hashem, please remind me that if I run into a challenge day to know that whatever's in front of me, just set to the side, learn your Torah, and those problems will dissolve away. Now, let's get into these ideas of these negative thoughts. Let's begin with the negative thoughts we have about someone else, you know, especially when it's regarding a fellow Jew. When the Yetzirah puts into our mind a negative thought about another Jew, we have to not let that incubate in our mind. We have to tackle that immediately. So one of the things I used to struggle with was these fellow Jews who are fake rabbis, for lack of a better term. You know, I had a lot of animosity, resentment. You know, I think about my mom who grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and my dad who grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and each of their respective rabbis, fake rabbis, told them that there's no soul, there's no neshama. They discarded the entire oral Torah. They told my parents that, you know, the Torah was written by men, that kosher was just sort of an FDA of the biblical times to, because we didn't have refrigeration, all this, this nonsense. And I see how it like removed their ability to fulfill the mitzvot in their lifetime. And I had a lot of anger about that. Even just the distraction that similar type people had on me early on, people who were fake rabbis. But I fought that because, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, there's a halakha that if someone, a child, gets kidnapped by non-Jews and is raised by those non-Jews and therefore not exposed to Torah, then they are not held accountable for not fulfilling the Torah. And likewise, Any Jew who's not fulfilling the Torah is doing so because they are captive children, including these men and women who call themselves rabbis but really have not been exposed to what Torah really is and therefore are giving really harmful, bad advice to other Jews. But they're just captive children as well because I know many of these rabbis, sweetest people in the world. They were just brought up as captive children. And the people that said you're now a rabbi They were brought up as captive children. Otherwise, they would have known, like, you're not ready to be a rabbi yet. You don't know lesson number one yet, which is where Torah came from. So I've worked very hard at when I have those negative thoughts and coming back and saying, these are amazing fellow Jews. They have not been exposed to Torah. They are captive children. And I do believe that any Jew who gets brought up exposed to Torah will fulfill it. You know, there's that... 19th bracha that was added in to the Shmon Esrei, which means 18. And that prayer's about, you know, the, the heretics and how we pray to Hashem to speedily uproot, smash, cast down, and humble the malicious sinners speedily in our days. And I've asked other Jews, like, well, who do you think of when you say that bracha? I mean, I don't really know who really comes to mind. And a lot of people gave me the same answer, everyone I've asked. It's like, they said Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I, I get it. He's a Jew in a powerful position. He does so much to harm Israel. However, 
I'd even believe Bernie Sanders, if he was brought up in a right environment with Torah wisdom being taught to him, he would be a tremendous Torah scholar and observant Jew as well. So I don't think of any names when I say that, Brock. I, that's, I tell it, that, that's beyond my pay grade. My mind is blank. I say the Baraka and leave it up to Hashem. He knows who may be causing great harm to the Jewish people, but that is, but as far as identifying who those people are, again, beyond my pay grade, I want nothing to do with it. I see every Jew as either righteous or potential righteousness because they have just not been exposed to Torah because they are a captive child. So that was one thing I've really been working on. And the, the other thing that came up recently was, when I, after October 7th and reading about Jews participating in these pro-Palestinian rallies, my initial you know, gut reaction was like, what are these morons thinking? But then I stopped myself. So I realized, again, it's a negative thought about another Jew, which means it came from my Yetzirah. And do I want to listen to my Yetzirah? Of course not. So that's why I immediately started saying like, out loud, like, look at these amazing Jews. They have such passion for justice in the world. And if they had only been brought up in an environment where they learned your Torah Hashem, they would be at the right rallies. They just, they weren't. And that's not their fault. That's my case I make to Hashem. It's not their fault. We are in a deep exile right now. You know, and even back to the other situation with my parents, I think, you know, and the way I sort of made peace with it was because even if they're not held accountable for any negative mitzvahs they violate, my father's never done the positive mitzvah of, for instance, wearing tefillin, ever. I don't even think he knows what they are. I never showed him mine, I never discussed it with him, just because I, he wouldn't be open to it. But, you know, I think that, and I like to believe that in prior lifetimes, both my parents fulfilled all the mitzvahs. They've already done them all. But in this lifetime, Hashem wanted them to go into a home of captive children, their parents, brought up without Torah, so I would grow into a similar environment without Torah. Now, why was that beneficial? Well, now I can see it because I'm married to an amazing woman and I have an amazing daughter. And guess what? They're both converts. And I would have never have met them if I had grown up in an observant home. My wife would have been totally off limits to me. But for some reason, Hashem wanted me to grow up in darkness, marry a non-Jew, and then return to him and bring her with me, as well as the daughter that be born to us, so that they could become Jews. I basically, I would say, it was sort of like sent into a situation as a delivery man to bring precious cargo back to Hashem. So that's the first idea. Negative thought about someone else, you got to turn around and argue on their behalf. And then as you begin defending them, your love for them increases. Next is those negative thoughts we have about ourselves. Now, sometimes those negative thoughts can be contemplating something embarrassing we did, which quite the norm for me, but we do something in public and it's, we feel a little embarrassed about it. To me, I've reconciled that, reframed that whole, those whole situations as thank you Hashem for allowing that to occur because it helps instill tremendous humility in me when those situations occur. So thank you. That's one. Be grateful for those moments where you 
have a fupa and you, you do something and you look a little silly in front of others, great. Instill in us the humility. Thank you, Hashem, for those situations. What about when the Yetzirah brings up something negative you did, a sin, and he tries to make you feel bad about it? Well, the first thing is, is like, thank your Yetzirah. Thank you. You know what? I overlooked that. Now I can do Teshuva for it and grow from that experience. Thank you. And the pain you're making me feel by bringing that to my attention, thank you, because that's just going to compel me to not want to do that sin again. So thank you for putting that in the forefront of my mind and making me feel so bad about it because now I can do teshuva and it will further instill me never to do that again. And of course, if the Yetzirah tries to bring up some sin you did before that you've already done teshuva for, just remind it, thank you, but that was not me. The person who did that sin did teshuva. He doesn't exist anymore. You got the wrong guy with that. That's the one thing about teshuva we have to remember is when we do teshuva, Hashem says, I've recreated you anew. The person that did that sin doesn't exist anymore. But for some reason, even though our infinite internal creator is looking at us as a new entity, didn't commit that sin, we can't let go of it. We still identify with that sin, that person that doesn't exist anymore. And the Yetzirah wants us to do that. We have to remind the Yetzirah, we did teshuva, that person doesn't exist you got the wrong guy. He's long gone. Hashem created me anew. And this version of myself did not create that sin. So that, that tackles those negative thoughts about ourselves. What about negative thoughts about that we can't achieve something that day? There's a task. We feel inadequate. We don't have the intelligence, the strength, the talents to accomplish this task. What do we do with those situations? Where That's where that initial checklist of ideas sort of comes into play. And whenever I have those thoughts that I don't have the ability to accomplish certain endeavors that day, my judo move in those moments is to say, you're right, I don't. I am nothing. I have no capabilities whatsoever without Hashem, but with Hashem. I have the ability to do anything. And so by going into a state of humility and accepting that we're nothing, but then knowing that with Hashem we're everything, and that anything is possible as a servant to Hashem, then we can relinquish those negative thoughts as well. Now let's talk about those negative situations or those thoughts about a situation being negative. And we sort of addressed it to some degree already. But once again, we just get back to the, the Shema. Everything is being orchestrated perfectly. We don't see the outcome. We see the situation in the moment, and we don't see how it's going to play out. But we know with full faith, the whole definition of Amuna is that it's going to work out perfectly. This happened for a precise reason. Now, I want to take all these ideas and sort of share with you how I have pulled these together for a situation I find myself in. In which I'm sure we all do. We, we all have these. Everyone is a challenging situation. But I shared with you back last late August how I had been davening since Pesach, asking for guidance on a matter around my livelihood. I kept feeling like I should leave the company where I was at. I was sort of played out my role there, and I, I really wanted to do something on my own. But I was telling Hashem, I feel like 
if I act on this, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across ungrateful. You put me with this organization. I don't want to be unappreciative. So as long as I'm here, I'm going to assume you want me to be here and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to do my best to serve the people as part of this organization. But I said, if you, if you think I should leave and go out and do something on my own, then you're just going to, have to make it very clear to me. And the other thing that happened shortly after that was I learned that Rabbi Nachman teaching about if we want to bring about Allahabad, then live in Allahabad now. What's Allahabad? Where there's a total revelation of Hashem and we know nothing but Him. But we can look beyond nature and see that He's orchestrating everything and begin to live in Allahabad now. And I, I wanted that. I wanted to get past the mirage of nature in all world events as being random and just totally be able to tune in and see that Hashem is orchestrating everything. And then after davening to have those things, the next thing that happens is I get laid off from my company, which was, which was perfect, an answer to my prayers. And something I learned after that too was that a teaching that for Hashem to give a person their livelihood is akin to him splitting the sea. Those two things are both so miraculous that it only works off a combination of the Jew persevering with Amuna and Bidachon, because when we make the Almighty's will our will, he makes our will his will. And I was always fascinated with this, you know, what that experience was like, you know, walking into the sea. And the whole experience began with Moshe praying to Hashem and Hashem saying, it's not the time to pray. It's a, it's a time to act right now. And the Jewish people are looking at the Egyptian army coming at them. They see wild animals off to the side and in front of them is the sea. And it's not a calm, tranquil sea. It is a ferociously violent sea. And finally, one Jew, Nishan, just started to walk. And as he walked, the water just continued to push back. It didn't just split open like in the movie. And we discuss this a lot, but I always like to visualize it. It's why it's in our sitter too, to visualize it. The water just moved out of his way, forming a tunnel. And as all the Jews followed in line, they began to walk. And those in front, the waters kept pushing back further and further and further. Because the sea had no option but to get out of the way of the Jew. Because when we go against our nature, we rise above nature. Remember that. So now I'm sitting here, I'm unemployed. And I see that I have a sea in front of me, a turbulent sea. And I'm like, this is absolutely perfect. And so what I did was I began this journey of, and this process of setting up my own hedge fund. And all that work is culminating into where I'm launching it on February 1st. But the experience is so priceless. First, I want to share with you some ideas around these financial matters because I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that financial matters are mundane. Definitely not. Or the vast majority of Talmud deals with financial matters. Why? Why do financial matters have such a holy context? And it's because Hashem put us in an environment where we need food, clothing, shelter. We need to buy services like our children's education, all these things we need. And he put us in a situation like that for a reason because he wanted to show us that he'll provide us for all those needs. The question is, do we know that? Do we put our trust in him? Or do we try to shortchange things? Do we weigh our scales 
inaccurately in order to take from another individual to make sure our needs are being met. You know, he's testing us to see you'll follow my laws around financial matters because you'll know that I provide for you. And if you don't have that level of bitachon and know that's all coming from me, then we'll see whether you begin to act in business unethically. So the first thing that we're asked when we die is, did you conduct your business affairs ethically according to Torah? So when I found myself in the situation of unemployment, now I did get a severance package. And I want to illustrate something. As I said, when we fulfill the Torah and we go against our nature, we rise above nature. If I were to talk to a financial planner back in September and say, here's my situation, they would advise me to hoard my money, stop giving charity, sit down with your wife and put her on a strict budget, tighten the hatches, limit the expenses, all those type things. But then what does the Torah tell us? The Torah tells us that Hashem says that the man's responsibility is to provide for his wife and not deny her anything. And if you can't afford something right then to say, I can't get that now, but I will get that for you. That is our job. So we don't go putting our wife into a state of fear, God forbid, it's the last thing you do, or even allowing ourselves to get into a state of fear. We provide. That is our, our responsibility. So I would have disobeyed a certified financial planner's advice in that matter. And as far as hoarding money, no. What I did was I merely looked into my budget and said, how much am I shy from 20% Sadaka? That's where I need to get myself to, and that's where I need to hold through this entire endeavor and indefinitely. You know, I've, I, in recent times, because of additional expenses, I backed off. I forgot, like, if things are getting a little tight, you don't go back to 10%. You increase your Sadaka. It was just a test. So this entire time, you're giving, I'm giving away Sadaka. More than 10% required, but really trying to hold at the 20% level. Now, this is the beauty of what we have with our Torah, is Hashem gives us a way to actually bring our belief system into actions and make it real. If a Jew were to tell me that they believe in God, they believe in God. They say, I believe in God, like Rabbi Nassan says from Rabbi Nachman's student, who says that if a Jew wakes up every day and says, I believe in God every moment until they go to sleep, but they don't believe that everything being orchestrated in the world is all being orchestrated by Hashem and all for their benefit. If they don't believe the latter, it doesn't matter whether they say that or not, that they believe in God every moment of their day, they're still an atheist. Because the God they say they believe in doesn't exist unless they accept that, they, that the true God is governing everything in their life for their good. So furthermore, if a Jew were to tell me, I believe in God, but I don't give my sadaka, the reality is that Jew is an agnostic. And I would tell them that you're still grappling with whether or not there's a God. I don't care what they would argue back. If you believe there's a God, the God of Israel, the God of Torah, the God that gave us the Torah... And he says, give 10%, give 10% in a story. If, if you're afraid of giving 10% because you may lack something, then you don't believe in God. Because part of God is that he is the one that provides for all our needs. It's amazing. I've seen like people who don't have a lot of financial resources, no issue giving. But I've seen very wealthy Jews have such a hard time with this. I'm talking about wealthy people. You know, working as a board member for Torch, I know people who make millions of dollars a year make a pledge for an amount of money, a few thousand dollars, the level of uh, the amount of money that they keep as cash in their wallet. Kid, kidding you not. 
And getting them to fulfill that pledge was exhausting and almost impossible. Because it was just like, well, let me get this other deal done. So I have some more millions. And then I'll let go of that $2,000 that I have sitting in my wallet and small bills. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've seen this. There were, I've seen someone who back in 2009, I heard this from someone very close to me who works for an organization called Torch, who is the executive director of an organization called Torch, told me, went to a man who made a nice contribution the year before. And after the 2008 market plummet said, I can't give to any charities. I've lost so much wealth. I've had my portfolio drop 60%. And now I only have $200 million. I can't give any Sadaka. What will come of me? And Rabbi Ari told me, you know, he asked the individual and he said, why don't you just give $18? Now, Rabbi Ari didn't care about the $18, right? He was concerned about this Jew. Like, dude, you need to give $18 is a million times more beneficial for you than it is for Torch. We'll get the $18 elsewhere. But he just hated seeing this Jew get caught in this trap. Dangerous it is. So... Back to my original point is that the way we operate with the world is not the way the rest of the world operates. Traditional financial planning would say, hoard your money, cut back your spending, tell your wife you can't have that, you can't have this. No, that's not what the Torah is telling us. But I see all these battles every day waking up. You know, when it's, it's one step further in that raging sea. And what's creating all those raging waters? It's those potential thoughts, the fears, the yet Hurrah tries to instill. And here's another tactic the Yetzirah uses. It'll say, if, what about if this doesn't happen and this happens and that happens? Then you'll end up with, in some horrible situation. The way you tackle that is, I tell the Yetzirah every morning, it's like, my job is the day in front of me. That's all I care about. And this day is going to be amazing. I have food for breakfast, lunch, dinner. I have Nice clothing Hashem got me to put on. I have all the financial resources I need to accomplish my task today. It's amazing. I lack nothing. When you say that reality, that truth, the Yetzirah has no grounds. He can try to get me to fast forward into the future, but I don't go there. I have every resource I need to accomplish my task today. And the other thing is like this, there's so much to do to get this fund launched setting up a hedge fund, tightening up the investment process and how I want to manage the portfolio. And then, of course, going out and raising investor capital. Many things going on that I have to accomplish every day, but I just lay it out. Here's what I need to accomplish. And in the end, in the end, it's Hashem's responsibility to provide me my livelihood. The business is just the delivery system for him providing me the Parnassa that he wants to give me. My responsibility is to build the delivery system. His re responsibility is to bring in the business. So I, I do my efforts, I make my phone calls, but I don't worry about the outcome of the meeting. You know, I've had people say to me like, well, we don't have a track record. How would I have any confidence in you without a historical track record? And my response is like, I don't know. I guess you don't. How do I know that you'll be able to execute on this investment process? You know, and I tell them, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, and I tell Hashem, like, I did my best effort. I went through the process of what I do, how I'm going to manage the portfolio. Your business development, you bring in the business, that's for you. I need to go back. I got research to do. I got other things to work on. 
legal aspects of the business, you know, that is in your hands. And miraculously, every day, the water keeps moving back and back and back. So it's, it's been such an amazing experience just to be able to walk through this sea with all these tumultuous waters, which go away when you control the thoughts in your mind. And that's the main thing I wanted to convey. The waters become still, silent, and quiet once you control the thoughts that you hold in your mind. And when they are thoughts of Torah and thoughts of positivity and belief in Amuna and Merachon and Hashem, then you change your nature and you rise above nature. My friends, I hope you found the insights I've gathered. Not, I mean, these are just my personal experiences, really trying to refine my regimen in the morning and actually just writing down checklists and things I need to contemplate and think and talk about with Hashem. But if you do these things, my friends, I'm telling you that no matter what tumultuous sea you ever ends up in front of you, you will walk through it. Thank you for listening, my friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking donate in the top right corner of the page.